hidden gems of Texas history. <laughs> Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. In the early 1700s, a European conflict between Spain and France reached the contested borders of their North American empires in a most unusual and ridiculous way. This week, we look at the role of Spanish Texas in the Chicken War. But first, what's your favorite chicken-themed thing in Texas? Well, I'm going to go with a somewhat chicken-themed place, uh, which is the Dixie Chicken in College Station, Texas. Uh, The Dixie Chicken is a restaurant bar in uh, the Northgate section of town, right across the street from the university. And it is a rip-roaring place to go hang out when you're visiting that college town. Um, It's good to go to lunch and get yourself uh, some food, and it's good to hang out at night when uh, the bar is open and uh, everybody's having a good time. I'll throw... I'll throw in the additional the addition of the Chicken Oil Company, which is in Bryan, which is near College Station, yep. and they have yep. pretty good uh, barbecue there. Ooh, delicious. Well, look, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Uh, I actually, sometimes you just want some chicken fried steak. Mm. Delicious chicken fried steak. It's fried. It's big as your face. It's here in Texas waiting for you, people. Come get some. Yep. And I believe the very best chicken fried steak I have ever had may have actually been at a Mexican restaurant uh, in the uh, uptown area of Dallas called uh, Matitos. Well, I got to tell you, you're wrong. You need to go to San Antonio and go to the <laughs> Little Red Barn because that's where you're going to get the best chicken fried steak well, in the world. The second best chicken fried steak I've ever had was at the Stagecoach Inn, which is on, if I remember correctly, uh, Highway 71 between uh, Houston and Austin. Very nice. You're making me mm. hungry. All this chicken fried steak <laughs> call, it's just it's yeah. killing me. Well, my favorite thing is, uh, I don't know if it started in Texas. I don't think it did, but it's if you go to a wedding or uh, some type of Oktoberfest or some type of polka festival or Czech fest, you got to do the chicken dance. And that is, yeah. It's one of those things that warms its way in your brain and just starts starts curling and destroying your brain. But you gotta love the kids love doing the chicken dance. Actually, there's a Dallas-based band. Uh, it's kind of a weirdo alternative polka band called Brave Combo, and they have a really fun chicken dance that they do. Perhaps the greatest frenemies in European history were Spain and France. In the complicated game of constantly shifting alliances of the 17th and 18th century Europe, Spain and France were at each other's throats as many times as they were the best of friends, usually over the question of who would dominate Italy or Holland. About the only thing that united the two countries, besides their Catholic faith, was their dislike of England, though each country would, at various points, ally with England to fight the other as many times as they joined up to take Britannia on. One constant point of contention between the two empires was the precise nature of the border between their North American possessions and the question of what exactly defined the furthest border of Spain's northernmost province, Texas. As we talked about way, way back when, on our very first episode, Spain really didn't hold much interest in the land beyond the Rio Grande River other than claiming it as her own. This was until the late 1600s, when they learned that French explorer Robert de la Salle was had established a colony somewhere on the Texas coast. 
and claimed the land for Louis XIV. An expedition to expel LaSalle, of course, found that the colony had failed and LaSalle was murdered. But it spooked the Spanish enough to compel them to set up missions and forts in eastern Texas and on the coast, as well as in their far western part of its Florida province, what is now called Pensacola. In 1718, Spain established its first permanent town in the interior of Texas, San Antonio. France, for their part, sought to expand its own influence in Texas through trade with native tribes. And thanks to the efforts of enterprising and daring tradesman Louis de Saint-Denis, a vast trading network centered around the town of Natchitoches, just east of the Sabine River. Now, for a few years in the early 1700s, both colonies prospered and traded with each other, though it was technically not legal. The War of the Spanish Succession, which lasted from 1701 to 1714, saw Spain and France allied and their crowns connected through blood. But Spain, in the end, came out by far the worse in that conflict. In 1717, tensions in Europe over the ambitions of Spanish King Philip V over ownership of the island of Sicily resulted in all of the major powers in Europe joining together in an alliance against Spain. It was one of those rare times where France and England allied together, which is especially odd since they'd spent 13 years fighting each other just a few years before. But such was the way of the stately quadrille. It was only natural, therefore, that a conflict over great power politics, dynastic ambitions, and control of an Italian island would make its way to the New World and eventually to Texas. How it did so is the most remarkable and ridiculous part. Of course, in the early 1700s, news travels slow. It wasn't until 1719, a year and a half to the war, and almost at its end, that news made it to Louisiana. With news that Spain and France were on opposing sides of the conflict, Lieutenant Philippe Blondel, an ambitious and no doubt bored young French officer in the post of Natchitoches, decided to take action. In June 1719, he and a small force of French troops, as in seven French troops, struck at the nearest Spanish target, San Miguel de Linares de Los Edis Mission. Los Edis Mission is not actually in Texas, but it's located just east of the Sabine in present-day Berlin, Louisiana. Blondel's invasion found only a lay brother and one soldier at the mission, but his seven men gathered up the sacred vestments and provisions, and they raided the hen house. Blondell himself tied the chickens to the pommel of his saddle, but the chickens, no doubt loyal to Spain, flapped their wings and it caused his horse to rear up and spill Blondell to the dirt. As his men rushed to his aid, the lay brother escaped off into the woods. After reaching Nuestra Señora de los Dolores Mission, which is near present-day San Augustine, Texas, the brother reported to Father Antonio Marguil de Jesus. He told Father McGill that Blondel told him the settlement in Pensacola had been captured by the French, which was true, and that a hundred soldiers were on their way to capture the Spanish settlements in eastern Texas, which was most definitely not true. McGill had no way of knowing this, though, and viewed retreat as the only option. He packed up his mission and headed for Nuestra Señora de la Purisma Concepción mission near Nacogdoches to spread the alarm. This quickly ratcheted things up to a panic. The French are coming. Never mind that there were only seven Frenchmen. Captain Domingo Ramon of the Nacogdoches Presidio heeded the clamor of his soldiers and their wives and ordered a withdrawal of people and livestock of all missions and presidios in eastern Texas towards San Antonio to await reinforcements. Marguil and a few soldiers stayed at Mission Concepcion for 20 days consoling the Indians, who didn't want to leave since it 
was, you know, their home and stuff. Margill received word on July 14th that Ramon was actually not going to stop and was just going to head to San Antonio. Margill took off after Ramon, while another priest, Father Espinoza, set out to get help. Along the way, he actually came across a small volunteer relief expedition from San Juan Bautista in Mexico and learned that no other military was coming. Finally, in October, the entire camp marched for San Antonio. While the refugees took up residence at San Antonio de Valero Mission, and today this is the Alamo, Espinosa went on to San Juan Batista to make an appeal for reinforcements. He learned that the Marques de San Miguel de Guayo was appointed as the new governor of Cuilla y Texas, and he was going to mount an expedition to reclaim eastern Texas and expel the French. Unfortunately, the Aguayo expedition didn't actually occur for another year and a half, a full year after the war was over. On February 17, 1720, Spain signed the Treaty of the Hague, which ended the War of the Quadruple Alliance. Aguayo's Reconquista became merely a reoccupation of territory that was never fully conquered in the first place. The Chicken War was a costly overreaction by Spain's furthest colonists to what was essentially a pitiful raid. The French took no other action against Texas after Blondel's comical fiasco. Aside from causing a two-year hiatus in the Spanish missionary effort, the episode also disrupted the commercial aims of the French Company of the West. Directors of the company sent word to the French governor of Louisiana that he was not to make war on the Spaniards, but to pursue trade with them, which would be hard to do when there was nobody to trade with. In the end, neither the larger war in Europe nor the silly chicken war accomplished very much. The eastern Texas missions returned and lasted about a decade before being permanently relocated to San Antonio. Towns and presidios along the contested border remained for another 50 years, despite the fact that Spain and France were again allies from the 1730s until the end of the century. The ridiculous farce known as the Chicken War is just a footnote today, remembered mostly thanks to the bravery of a few Spanish chickens who showed considerably more pluck than their owners. It doesn't really count as a war, I guess. Yeah, big war wasn't a war either. Strangely enough, it centered around the French also. So yeah, this was this was another example of a of a of a, a silly little incident and episode in history, uh, and I think it kind of speaks more to what could have been. What if the French really had made an effort to take over, to in, really truly invade and hold territory in Texas? I mean, what what would Texas look like? Way back to our first episode, we talk about what would Texas look like if the French really had succeeded in Texas, and this is. I think yet another lost opportunity from the French to have made a difference in a more lasting difference in the history of Texas. Yep. Well, this is, you know, yet another footnote of Texas that we just, you don't learn about in school. You don't hear about, you have to kind of seek some of these interesting little stories yeah. out. So, and it's, it's a silly <laughs> story, but man, it, it, but, but crazy costly that like they were able to just cause that yeah. panic. It's just more example of Spain not really understanding or knowing what it wanted out of Texas either. It's like I, I, I don't, I don't want anything. Oh, you want it? I, I want it. Then it's mine. You can't have it. So fun little story. Yep. Fun little story. There's, there's, there's some, there's some really interesting little, little stories, uh, little hidden gems hidden of Texas. Gems yeah, and Texas and it's history. also, it's one of those few also incidents where politics in Europe did really, really did make their way all the way back to like the furthest reaches of the of the of the empire, you know? 
this 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 battle, this fight over who should own Sicily, um, had reverberations truly around the world, even even in a sad and pathetic way. <laughs> yeah, it, that always makes me. It also makes me think of uh, he's no man, he's a chicken. Boo! <laughs> Been watching a lot of Animaniacs. Uh, yeah, he, I also want. I also kind of think it's funny. I want to. Th- I would like to know what like the the Indians thought of all this silliness. Like, hey man, there's all seven of them. You know, there's like there's like fifty of you, and there's like like five hundred of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. But you know, it is all, again, it's it's a perception of force, you know? So there's a lot of stories in history like that where people got it wrong and they paid a, a lot more expensive price than just running away. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. And why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two N's. And I'm Scotticus. If you like this show, but you're scared of chickens, tell your friends and please leave a review on iTunes and tell them to do it, too, because it really helps us out to find new listeners just like you. And if you'd like to support this show financially... Get yourself on over to patreon.com slash Texas Podcast Partner and make yourself a come and take a Texas Ranger. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway. Mm-hmm.